Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and success strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull, and I appreciate you being with us. This segment is brought to you by my company. It's Bull Realty for asset and occupancy solutions. Check us out at bullrealty.com or give me a call directly. You can find our contact information at the website. Well, today we're talking about an interesting sector, uh, self-storage. And I think a lot of people have an interest in self-storage because of the kind of natural uh, benefits of it, right? Uh, you don't have uh, toilets and bathrooms and children and pets and uh, you don't have large build-out costs uh, when tenants change over. The eviction proceedings of people aren't paying are very quick in most markets. So a lot of people have been interested in self-storage, and uh, the market has uh, really grown over the years. In fact, it's grown so much that Reese uh, started tracking uh, the market several years ago. And uh, please welcome Reese. My guest is Barbara Denham, and she is senior economist with Reese, and she's joining us on the phone. Barbara, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. Well, Barbara, how is the uh, self-storage market uh, performing overall? It seems like uh, it's a market that in some cities, and some markets, uh, there's a low barrier of entry. Uh, what do you see overall for performance uh, throughout the U.S.? Well, it's uh, doing pretty well. It is, like as you said, it's kind of a newish industry. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, there really wasn't that much self-storage so, uh, and it's it's a it's an industry that has largely tracked the apartment market. So, as we've seen a really strong growth in the apartment market in a lot of cities, especially you know in their CBD areas, the self storage industry has followed. That said, this industry, as you mentioned, because of its low barriers to entry, uh, has definitely gotten overbuilt, especially in some markets more than others. Uh, some markets have seen like. 30 to 50 percent growth in their inventory just in the last uh, three to five years. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of growth. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, in 2015, 2016, we saw really strong rent growth as, as so many people took advantage of this industry. But more recently, we've seen rent declines, uh, especially in some markets that got overbuilt. And what are the typical occupancy ranges uh, in this sector? Oh, gosh, they really range. Uh, I'm looking at occupancy growth rates. And, um, you know, so the, the vacancy rates in, uh, you know, they range from, you know, a low of 8% in, in a couple markets to as high as, uh, you know, 19%. I don't see many over 20%, but most of them are in the teens, the mid to upper teens. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, you're, and what are some markets that you see are doing well? So markets that are doing well, mostly on the West Coast, I'm looking at, say, cumulative three-year growth. Uh, so markets like Las Vegas and Reno, California, um, Ventura County, a couple in the Midwest, like Minneapolis and uh, Memphis, actually doing very well. And uh, But again, San Bernardino is on the top, Seattle, uh, mostly kind of Western markets. It's the Midwest and some, like, markets on the bottom of the list, I would say, that got overbuilt include, like, Oklahoma City and Denver. Denver's such a great market, but really way too much overbuilding. Their inventory grew uh, almost a third in three years. Likewise, in Milwaukee, tremendous growth. Um, Houston, Cleveland, again, a lot in the Midwest, but the the the... The state of the market is really driven by the supply growth, not the, the demand growth. 
Interesting. Interesting because I guess your demand is just not growing that much and a lot of people have built. And, you know, some of the markets do have a large barrier to entry. A lot of the, the cities and markets that uh, we work in in the southeast, um, municipalities don't really want soft storage. They look at it and think that it's going to be these big, ugly orange buildings or green buildings and, and they don't want it. Do you see any, any cities that really have high occupancy that if someone can find a site and get it zoned, there might be an opportunity? Um, yeah, that's a very good question. And um, yeah, m municipalities have not been warm to this sector, but it probably means that they are reacting after so much got built. So I'm going to use the example of Brooklyn, New York, for example. Many stretches of Brooklyn were uh, populated with old, empty industrial buildings, and many investors bought them and converted them to self-storage. And it is a tremendous growth. Uh, and you notice them because they have their neon signs out front. So they didn't really build the building. They just bought it and just gutted it and put it in the stores and the lockers. So then municipalities kind of stepped in, the city council, and said, we, this is enough. We, need, we don't need this many. But the biggest lesser of self-storage base in New York is corporations. They need, you know, there's not just a consumer demand for self-storage. There's a corporate demand because a lot of law firms and uh, other, you know, accounting firms that have to store huge data files, uh, paper data files, paper files, and if they're leasing less office space, this is a very uh, inexpensive alternative. So the owners kind of fought this, and the the, the Wall Street and you know comp companies fought the the limits on self storage, and they largely won. So um, I, I don't think the municipalities stepping in to curb self storage really is driven not by the demand but by the oversupply. Interesting. So is that a, a growth area potentially for the self-storage industry is renting uh, space to, to offices? And, you know, interesting you mention it because my office, um, you know, we're in a very nice top floor building off the lobby and in uh, Class A space. And, yeah, we rent uh, storage space. Uh, I've never been there, but I, they tell me we do. And uh, so is that a growth area in this, in this industry? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly uh, an opportunity. I mean, it, it says a lot about uh, how the office occupancy growth has been slow and self-storage occupancy has been strong. Um, so, but I think it's already kind of filled a lot of that space. Um, like I said, most of the markets we're looking at, the self-storage inventory growth is much higher than the occupancy growth. So uh, I think anyone who stores office or, uh, you know, big paper files on site really should consider renting self-storage to store those files. Um, but uh, I think a lot of people are already doing that. Yeah. As an economist, Barbara, when you look at what's going on in the economy, all the economic factors and indicators you see moving forward, what do you think the outlook is for self-storage industry moving forward? Well, again, I think it follows the apartment market. Uh, so um, an apartment occupancy demand is still pretty high. So as long as the economy keeps adding jobs, the demand for apartments will continue to uh, be solid. And I think the self-storage market, uh, again, will stay healthy. It's sustainable, but I think in many markets it's gotten overbuilt. So as long as supply doesn't outpace demand growth, Moving forward, it should stabilize a little bit. 
Yeah. Well, when you just look around the, the people that you know and, and, the, and you look at the millennials and, and, uh, and the folks that, uh, that are maybe my age that are baby boomers, it seems like a lot of uh, baby boomers are kind of, I don't know if I'm, I don't mean mean to us, but materialistic. You know, we like our stuff and sometimes they want to get rid of our stuff. I'm trying to mm-hmm. get my wife to downsize our Atlanta home and she's like, well, where would we put our stuff? Are we potentially seeing less of that with millennials, with younger folks, where maybe they want to have less things? And and uh, do you see that at all? And is, could that impact self-storage? I think culturally we definitely are seeing that um, in terms of, you know, all these books about declutter your space and feng shui and things like that. So I, I, I do think that there is less a of a... Uh, um, expectation for buying stuff, but I actually looked at consumption figures because I was I was starting to see occupancy overall was stagnating, and I thought, well, what's what, what are people storing besides companies storing files, paper files? What are people storing? And you know, I looked at the consumption figures because so much of the retail sales numbers is e-commerce, and it's really hard to see what we're buying when you just see e-commerce. And the consumption files and uh, within the GDP numbers show that we're actually buying more furniture and housewares on a regular basis. Not a lot more, but when you adjust it for population and inflation, we are buying more stuff, uh, not by a dramatic rate. Um, So I think because of e-commerce, we are very eager to just, you know, buy something that looks nice online. And we're we're even buying more clothing. Mm -hmm. So the consumption numbers show that clothing consumption is increasing every year. Not dramatically, but it's still... Positive. So even though we want to downsize our stuff, overall, nationally, we are buying more stuff. Of course, the housing market, you know, slumped in 2018 and is starting to come back in 2019. So that would suggest that we will continue to buy more stuff. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I would argue that, you know, compared to our uh, baby boomer uh, relatives, you know, there is this idea that millennials will buy less stuff, but I, I, I just don't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. And uh, well, let's talk about opportunities. Uh, one of the things that we do, we, we sell self-storage properties uh, in the Southeast. And one of the things that we see as an opportunity is some people have owned some properties for a while and maybe they own one property, for example, and you know they're, they're not efficient managers. And sometimes we can sell those to folks who come in with new management and uh, can really improve performance on some of these projects, where what opportunities do you see out there in the self storage world? Is it is it rehabbing older properties? Is it building in, in markets where maybe there is a barrier to entry if you if you can get a permit? Um, well, it's it's tough to say. I mean, like the Brooklyn story is very unique, um, mainly because there was just so much uh, so much that. Um, was empty. Mm-hmm. So I would say that there are still those kinds of pockets out there in various parts of the country. Um, and it is a good use of the space. It's better than keeping it empty. But I think a lot of people would argue that, you know, they'd rather have some kind of a business there. They'd rather have retail or, you know, some kind of multi-use instead of self-storage because self-storage doesn't, you know, generate a lot of foot traffic. And so, you know, there. For an owner, it, there's a, um, you know, you might find opportunities out there, but I think for the overall best, highest and best use for a community, 
I think people would rather see something that's really going to generate the foot traffic. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting, especially if you have businesses around it. But uh, when you look at the the zoning aspect uh, of you know that if you allow the zoning, if somebody a developer puts up a very good looking building, I know some of these buildings that that you and I have seen. Um, out there, they're beautiful buildings. You look at it, what is that? And you find out that's self-storage. Wow, they really put a nice face on it. And you think about it, it doesn't, there's not much car traffic, uh, doesn't uh, uh, bind the, the schools or anything. So for the residents in the markets, uh, it's not a bad use uh, for mm -hmm. them uh, for, to, to support zoning, if, if any residents support any zoning. So. Right. <laughs> well, Barbara, good information as usual. I appreciate uh, you joining us today. My pleasure. If you like more information from Barbara, check out their website. It's Reese, R-E-I-S, dot com. Stay with us. We'll have more on the self-storage market, including a discussion with a developer. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Would you like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office? Check out Michael Bull's video training. Since you're a show listener, you receive 10% off your first purchase. At checkout, use discount code CREshow. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Are you involved in the multifamily industry? Check out RedIQ.com. You can easily and effectively turn operating data into actionable intelligence. Request a demo or try it for free at RedIQ.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by one of my companies, Commercial Agent Success Strategies. It's 21 one-hour videos. It's the ultimate commercial agent training in the world. Check it out at commercialagentsuccess.com. Today we're talking self-storage. Please welcome my next guest. It's Corey Sylvester, and Corey is with Radius Plus. He's joining us on Skype. Corey, thank you for being with us. Thank you very much for having me, Michael. Well, Corey, you guys track the self-storage market in a huge way around the country. And one of the things I'm curious about is uh, because of all the new development and economy and everything going uh, the way it's going, how are these properties overall performing around the country? What's your trend there? That's a good question. So uh, as, a, as a backstop, I think uh, self-storage has been a little bit off the radar as it re relates to an, a real institutional asset class. Um, what you've seen ever since 2009 is that has really shifted. Um, and now we're in the midst of, of a really enormous development cycle. So starting in 2006, uh, you started to see a real large pickup in development, self-storage development. Um, right now uh, in 2019, we're kind of adding supply at roughly a 5% clip uh, when you look across the country. Uh, on a square footage basis, so 5% of new supply is coming on every year, um, which is a lot of supply to be adding nationally. And some of these markets are seeing um, upwards of 20% new supply in some of these markets, which is just an enormous amount of self-storage to be dumped in a market in a single in a single uh, you know 12-month period. So you know the the market is 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 very localized, but overall, I'd say that we are definitely towards the hopefully the latter end of a 
large scale development cycle. We haven't seen the end of it uh, as it relates to uh, development because the, the, the driver, as we think about like what's causing it, is that developers are taking uh, a look at what they think they can develop to, which is you know right now, depending on who you are and where you're building, can be anywhere between an eight or nine percent yield. And the market for these is roughly six. So there's still a two to 300 point spread, depending upon how you uh, model out, you know, what your development yield is. But that that yield and that spread is really driving the incentive to uh, build versus buy. Uh, and until we see developers really uh, feel more constrained about what they think they can do, we're going to continue to see, you know, this development cycle continue. So, you know, being three or four years into it. From a performance standpoint, you're seeing rental rates across the country and specifically in some of these markets that have been more directly impacted, uh, such as Denver, uh, such as Miami, such as Houston. Uh, you know, some of them are, uh, are down, you know, in the uh, double digits, 20, 30 percent uh, from their peak. So um, it's it's still overall a great sector, but we're definitely uh, in a little bit of an oversupply situation. Um, it's still not yet slowing down too dramatically. So it's still a, a very hot uh, sector that people are investing capital in. Okay. And you mentioned that uh, there's a lot of new development going on. What's the typical time refrain, range, Corey, for stabilizing uh, these new facilities? Is this a, a three-year time frame? I know it varies for the location and the demand, but on average, what w would you expect? Yeah. Uh, to answer your question, uh, historically, it's been about three years, but you're really speaking to an important point right now, which is that the amount of time it takes between when you open it and, and you stabilize it, get up to a, you know, call it an 80, 85 percent uh, occupancy, that is extending pretty dramatically. So uh, a couple of years ago, you'd see these facilities leasing up in, in a matter of, you know, 18 to 24 months. Uh, now that new supply is starting to compound on one another and you've got two or three facilities in an area that are opening up, you know, uh, stabilization is taking upwards of four or five years in some areas. And we're starting to see that in the data. So uh, that's one of the elements that as developers start to pencil out, you know, I'm going to buy this piece of land. I'm going to build it for this. How long does it take to, to lease up as that starts moving out? Uh, on the uh, on the scale, that's when yields will come down, and hopefully that's when the uh, the uh, development activity slows and the market can kind of catch up to where it's 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 come to. Yeah, and you guys do a great job of tracking the the properties and the performance around the country. I we sell self storage properties here. We have a group that does it, and we see some of these older properties that um, they seem to be very uh, level in their occupancy. And it looks like some of these operators are just not paying that much attention to their, their properties. So where are there some opportunities and how can you maybe find where there's opportunities to either for new development or but, but for existing properties to kind of look at something and go, hey, there's 70 percent, but the property looks a little tired. There's not a lot of technology. How can we find those opportunities? Yeah, it's. I mean, that's a great question because the self-storage sector is unique in that aspect. That it, it really is the last, the large last of the large asset classes that hasn't consolidated. Right. If you look at the top uh, operators, public and private, uh, they only make up about a, a quarter of the entire market. So there's a huge opportunity of these private mom and pop type operators that, like you say, you know, may be managing to 100% occupancy 
which isn't what you want to be doing, and or maybe they're at 70% occupancy. In either regard, you're, you're really going to be looking at these facilities uh, on a one-by-one -one basis and understanding uh, how much uh, their rents are below the market, uh, whether they've been increasing rents on existing tenants, because you, know, you really should be increasing rents on existing tenants on a 5 to 10% basis annualized. Uh, and if you haven't been doing that for many years, that's a huge opportunity. Um, selling tenant insurance uh, is a huge component of, of additional revenue. Uh, and most of these facilities aren't utilizing those levers in the way that they should be. So um, when, you, when you look at these older facilities, you can make uh, you know, some pretty modest capital upgrades, put in a new fence, maybe uh, retop the, the blacktop, uh, put in some new doors, fi fix a couple units. Uh, but really, on the revenue management side is where there's an enormous amount of opportunity. Um, and uh, that's really where the, the industry will go, leaving development aside. The acquisition opportunity um, is, is pretty awesome. Uh, and that's why, you know, getting to cap rates, that's why you really haven't seen cap rates moving that much, even with this enormous amount of oversupply. Um, because there's so much capital that's realizing that this business model makes, you know, 70 cents for every dollar, 60 to 70 cents for every dollar it brings in, it keeps. I mean, that's just an awesome operating margin. And if you can buy a facility that's been under managed, then there's opportunity to buy a, you know, a, a six cap property and take it to a nine cap um, over the course of, you know, two or three or four years with, with suitable management. So, you know, that, that's a, you know, talk to anybody in, in real estate and that, that's a pretty awesome opportunity. Uh, doing it at scale is really where people are having trouble, right? Because you buy a $4 million property uh, and it takes a lot of legwork. It's not a multifamily where you can buy it for 50 million bucks and put a lot of capital to work quickly. So that's why it, it's a lot of blocking and tackling. But, um, you know, there's still a huge opportunity, as you were alluding to, uh, in the acquisition market. Yeah, and your example uh, used a 6% cap rate. And when we first started selling self-storage property many years ago, um, I was initially surprised at how low the cap rates because I've kind of thought, well, it's real estate, but there's also employees. There's it's, it's a little bit of a business, but in reality, it, it can be less employees than than a lot of uh, real estate. And there's a lot of technology that sometimes can really automate uh, these properties so that you potentially could have little to no employees, right? Yeah, you're you're spe really speaking to the next part of where the industry is going. Um, is that if you think about what they are, they're really just garages, right? And people don't really need a ton of human interaction to be able to uh, rent a garage, put their stuff in it, and come back and forth as they need, right? You need automation on the gates. You need automation on the building access. You need automation on the uh, unit access. And then you need a secure premises. Uh, there's not a, a lot that uh, structurally you need a live-in tenant for. Um, so there's a lot of technology on the way, a lot of technology that's already here that's allowing that automation to occur. Um, but that's where, you know, the industry is going over the next, you know, 10 to 15, 20 years is that a lot of these smaller facilities that have a, a person that's getting charged, you know, getting paid $35,000, $40,000, you know, there's an opportunity to op optimize that and to use technology to, to, uh, to take that maybe that one person at one facility and leverage them across three or four facilities, um, and that's where you know further upside is in the industry as it relates to uh, adding value. Yeah, 
And if you wanted to uh, get a lot of information about the self-storage market, or you'd like a, a study of a location or existing property, check out RadiusPlus.com. There's a lot of great information and resources that they provide. Uh, well, Corey, uh, before you leave our audience, uh, what would you leave our audience with as far as the future of, of self-storage uh, performance-wise or cap rate rise or, or just the future of the industry? Uh, the industry is undergoing an institutionalization process. Uh, large uh, banks, large private equity firms, uh, large, uh, large institutions are finally realizing that this is, a, this is an industry that has a very diverse demand uh, profile and makes a lot of money. Uh, so you're going to continue to see some some pretty significant success as it relates to consolidation, as it relates to overall performance, and uh, you know as it relates to the next couple of years, it's it's going to be rocky in some areas. Um, but again, it's, it's self storage is is a three to five mile business. Uh, if you build a facility in Portland, it doesn't impact you in Cleveland. So it's still very localized, um, and uh, there are a lot of opportunities even to. Con to consider developing, but more importantly, on the acquisition front, there's a lot of opportunities. Um, but uh, you know, supply probably is going to be an issue for you know next three to four years because even as the next couple of years delivers, it takes time for those to lease up. So you need to know your area. I mean, that's certainly one one thing that Radius Plus will help you do is track supply, track rates, track uh, um, you know. Any other uh, uh, statistic that, that you're looking at as it relates to demographics or anything else, I'll, I'll give a shameless plug there. Uh, but overall, it's, it's a great industry, and uh, you're going to see um, a much different industry over the next 10 to 15 years as it consolidates and, and really modernizes. Yeah. Well, you deserve the plug. Great information you shared with us today, Corey. Thank you for being with us. Thanks very much, Michael. All right. And thank you for joining us around the country. And uh, please let us know what you think, and we appreciate you sharing the show and also invite you to reach out to us. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Commercial Agent Success Strategies, incredible training for commercial agents. Visit CommercialAgentSuccess.com. Bomi International. For facilities and property management education, visit Bomi.org. BuyProxy.com. Your global commercial real estate listing service. Visit BuyProxy.com. Red IQ. Turning multifamily data into actionable intelligence. Visit RedIQ.com.